Conflict change and innovation are all, they're all close cousins and you cannot have one of those things without the other two. And so if you want to be innovative, you've got to have conflict and change. If you want to change things, you're going to have to have conflict and innovation. So all those things are intricately interwoven and being the master of those. And I think conflict is the one that is the hardest. Really, at a 30,000-foot viewpoint, the model is to recognize when you have conflict, which is really that tension that you have. And then at some point deciding, I want this to be creative rather than destructive. And so you spiral. And, and to do that, you turn your statements into questions, acknowledgements, or both. You, you work with your focused energy, which is centering, which is raw physical energy to show up. You get really clear on, on all the levels of intention involved, and you also seek out support. Welcome to the Improvement Nerds podcast, where it's our goal to bring together a bunch of improvement nerds in order to start and improve evolution by providing people with a new tool set, a new skill set, and a new mindset. We're grateful that you're spending time with us today. If you enjoy what you hear, please follow our podcast and subscribe because there's sure to be good content that occurs in these conversations as we nerd out. In my new book, I actually talk about the fact that, you know, this is about mastering conflict and and mastering conflict is not that you always get it right, but that you understand that it's natural and that it exists and it's, it, it's essential for innovation. And so really understanding the dynamics of conflict is, is really a very liberating and freedom producing thing. Hey, Improvement Nerds. This is Tom West back with another episode of the Improvement Nerds podcast. I'm very excited to be sharing my next guest with you. And before I bring that person on, I want to give a little bit of a backstory of how I've met Karen. So while I worked in healthcare, one of my mentors uh, had encouraged me to grow as an individual through mentoring other, other people. And this person at the time was on the board or actively involved in a professional group for women leaders within the healthcare sector. So thanks to their nudging, I enrolled and uh, started on this mentoring journey. And the first event that was the kickoff of this, where you meet who you'll be mentoring and learn more about the program that you'll be going through, you you come into this event and uh, people who've done it before, the people who help organize it, they're there and they're speaking about what it's all about. And one of those first speakers was Karen. And she kind of just, you know, eased everyone's uh, concerns and maybe allowed them to have that pressure release valve that everyone needed because I wanted to do a really, really good job as a mentor. And she stood up at the front of the room and said that this really is about just being present and supporting each other and encouraging each other and don't expect perfect because if you've never done this before, Uh, Or if you've done it a lot of times, you just have to realize that if you try to make it something that it's not meant to be, it's going to be a struggle. And instead, if you just allow yourself to go with the flow and allow yourself to arrive at wherever this is meant to take you, you're going to have a lot more fun and you're going to learn things about yourself and about your, your professional world or even your family that you probably weren't going to had you try to stick to an agenda or try to be too structured with this. So just that that moment really allowed me to 
uh, ease into this and just take the pressure off because at the time I was um, pretty rigid in the way that I was leading people and leading projects and um, was really results oriented. And yeah, I'm not saying those things are bad, but I was like way too over the top. So, you know, through getting to know her, I've learned to just go with the flow. And I, I have found from from her through what she does on social media and just how she lives her life that that doesn't just you know come easily, but it's something you really, really have to work at. So I've brought her on my episode, one, because she made a, a big impression on me when I was a young professional and helped me to be a good mentor for people and encouraged me to continue to serve as a mentor. So I'm thankful for that. But beyond what she's done for me, she does this for lots of people in this message of just go with the flow. Um, she champions that in an amazing way. So I wanted to bring her on the episode and allow her to share that story. So ladies and gentlemen, I welcome Karen. Welcome to the show. Hey, I'm, I am delighted to be here, Tom. Thank you for the invite. Yes. So let I, I try my best to kind of share the backstory, but I don't want to encroach on that person's opportunity to introduce themselves. So I want to give you the floor and let you talk just a little bit about who you are and what you do. Okay. Well, Tom, I, I love the lead-in question that you had asked, and I think it might be a, a, a great way of telling people about me. Um, and that question you said is, what nerds you out? And, and it's interesting because when I first heard that personally, um, it took me back to my first career, which is I was a very early woman engineer. And I was the first female engineer in an automotive company many, many, many years ago. And I loved that work. And so I was thinking, oh, it's that engineer that's kind of nerdy for me. But then when you said, well, what's, what's the... The nerd, the nerd is what is that passion. And my passion is I really love working with people and helping them come out into their greatest form of who they are. And so that is where my passion is. And it's not all that different than engineering because it's how do I, how do I take the materials that I have and really create that best innovation possible with what I've got and and continue to do that. So my passion is really helping leaders and team members come together and really bring out the best in that group. And so my um my so my background what I do right now is the work I do which I call spiral impact is grounded in a martial art that's called aikido which I've practiced for about 30 years now. And Aikido is, is really about learning what true power is. And, and it's very much ro- ro- rotational and spirally rather than force. So I, I explore the difference between force and power. And in your intro, you really um, spelled that out beautifully because it is that difference between trying to f- force and trying to work at it and hard at it where that's really about force and force is a straight line function, whereas power is a rotational function. And, and I think people really don't truly understand what true power is. And, and if, if they do, they realize, they recognize that you don't have to be in a position of power. Um, Anyone can really 
you know, connect with their own real true power. So it's not about a positional thing. It's about how you choose to engage. And um, so it's power and force are often confused. And I think a lot of times we think of people in power, they're using their power, but often when they're using their power, they're really using force because they're creating conditions. Does that make sense? It it does. And that's, I, I love the storytelling that you do and um, the way that you can take and put people in situations where they can think about their own behaviors. And once once I met you and, and I was listening to you speak at that networking group and the mentoring kickoff, you know, I was, everything you were saying is like, oh my gosh, I, I'm I'm trying to force this to happen. And, you know, as a result of that, you know, I, I'm stressed out, they're stressed out, and these are not the results I want to have. And this is authority or, um, and that's, you know, yes, important to have a hierarchical structure to facilitate decision making and, and powers of authority. Okay, those things, I'm not saying do away with them. I'm saying that that's not the only thing that creates environments for success is that you also have to have this element of flow and movement in which individuals can uh, create in a space where there's not resistance and they can co-create and they can collaborate and they can build relationships. And as you started to share all those things, um, I was studying to be a project manager and a black belt and like everything, all the tools, the analytics, everything was that part of the force equation. Like, here's the changes we need to make. Here's the tools that are going to get you there. And not, nothing was really talked about the culture and the environment that you had to create to allow safety to be present for people to actually work together. And in your presentation and just the messages that you were sharing, I realized I had to be able to do both is to equip people with tools Um, but also put them in an environment where they can practice those things safely and, and learn from them and grow from them. So I kind of had a, like an identity crisis in some ways. (laughs) Well, I guess that's a good thing, huh? (laughs) And I love that, that even in that keynote, like you um, challenged a lot of people's thinkings and that really helped me to be a successful mentor because I chose to have fun with it and to focus on the people I was getting to meet and Mm -hmm. to value them as individuals versus like how, how frequently were you meeting and what was your agenda during that meeting? And are you helping these people get closer to the results and goals that they have for themselves? Like, yeah, like those things, that's where my mind was versus like get to know these people as individuals, make sure they know who you are as an individual and create an environment where they feel safe to be themselves. And like, I'm, I was just thankful that I got that message and that's how you wanted the people to mentor each other in that program. And it made an, a, a, a big impression on me. And I, I'm thankful that you were there and I'm thankful that that's the message you shared there, but that you share in all of the public speaking engagements or the client engagements that you have. Yeah. Yeah. Tom, you know what what I've learned over the years, I think that there's, you know, 
you are a very competent person and so am I and so are a lot of other people. But what I've learned about really helping to bring out the best in people, it's not about me looking at them and saying, you should do this, this, and this, just as you had said, but it's about really being able, and again, I look at that spiral and I think it's about me helping them through asking questions and really good questions and helping people get really clear on where they're coming from. What I have found is when people want to say to me, well, tell me what to do, I'm always reluctant to do that because one, I don't know what the best thing is for anyone. I might know what the best thing is for my project, so I can, I I don't mean to minimize that, but as as I talk with people, if, I, if I'm imposing my view on them, then I hold some responsibility in the outcome in a sense. And so what I find, and I, and I, so I'm owning that piece. Whereas if I can ask someone really good questions about how would you, how would you see this working out? What would you, if money were no issue, what would, what would you do with this? Um, what are you doing right now that might be kind of dumb? Um, Asking those really good questions to get to get people's brains engaged is, I think, just really key to being able to again with leaders and teams to really bring a cohesive team that everybody feels valued in. And when you've got somebody that's that's calling all the shots and telling people what to do, you really shut people off in a very big way with that. And and I think being a leader of those teams and that a lot of the work I've done is is with teams, and we I teach the concepts of spiral impact, which is actually a a pretty straightforward um, methodology to learn, and then help them engage in terms of using those converse, the conversation around creating an agreement around what they want to create together. It's it's really quite inspiring to see what people want. But the the best part about that is to watch them go through that process of exploration and dialogue and sharing is so powerful to me. It it is I'm I'm sure it's something that like you're addicted to also. Like now now that you've it once and you've seen it and see how it enables individuals to achieve in uh, co-create and to trust themselves and to trust each other, like it's got to be intoxicating. And I love that that's where you're focusing your energy is to create that momentum through your approach of spiral impact. And it, I, it, I'm going to nerd out here for a second. So I studied economics and any process that flows and a positive feedback method in which it creates value and that value is reinvested in the model to perpetuate it and keep it going, that is a virtuous cycle. Now, in a model where uh, it's a negative feedback loop in which the, the process isn't well thought and we don't do systems thinking and we're not sure how all these things work together, and because of that, the value that's being created, one, we don't know how it's being created. So therefore, we can't create more of it and reinvest it. It, it. You know, this kind of thing spins out of control and it becomes the vicious cycle. So and on your book cover, 
you have the spiral on it and it's flowing in a positive feedback method. So that's a nowadays it's called a value creation model. So in spiral impact, you have a model that's all about creating value. And I love that because a lot of organizations think that they're creating value, but they don't know how they're actually doing it. And oftentimes they're, they've got it misstated. So there's this one vicious cycle that if people want to Google it, they can. It's called the dreaded drama triangle or the three. And what it is, is this uh, vicious cycle that perpetuates within organizations in which a problem exists, that problem causes conflict and stress onto the victim. So that's your second party. So your first party is the problem. Your second party is the victim. The third party is the hero, which is the person that the victim goes to, to seek help in addressing the problem. And what the hero often thinks their role is to do is to go directly to that problem and solve it for that victim. And the more and more that happens, that victim has learned dependency on that hero. And this thing then perpetuates because that victim never equips themselves with the schools, the skills they need to actually address that problem for themselves. So leaders think that that's what their role should be is to go around and fight fires or solve other people's problems. And that's not, that's not what should be occurring. It should actually be the, the leader teaching that victim how to problem solve and to create the environment where they can be successful in solving that problem, either individually or collectively with the team, and that they are able to address those problems more effectively and immediately versus those problems overtaking the person and, and the, uh, and the organization in some ways. So that, okay, that I'm done nerding out. Oh, okay. (laughs) Well, I love that. I mean, it's, it's, that's a classic triangulation pattern and, um, and you do, you disempower, you, you disempower people when you solve their own problems. And I oftentimes, when I work with groups, I will bring a, a large rock from my garden and I'll hand it to whoever the leader is. And I ask them, what do you notice? <laughs> and what they notice is it's really heavy and that they're holding it. And I, I use that as an analogy because I think a lot of times it's like, Who's holding the rock? And a lot of times, I think in leadership, um, people will go to their leader and give them this big rock, and now it's their rock. And so we talk a lot about what rocks are you taking on? And and the fact is, is if you can if you can coach that person to hold on to their own rock, what they end up doing is they end up building their own strength and abilities. And so that, that's an analogy that I think every leader I've used that with will bring that back up to me and they'll say, well, who's got the rock? <laughs> and, and I think that's a, it's, a, it's, a great, it's a great analogy that has really scored well every time I've used it. So, um, but who's, who's holding that rock? And, um, and you know, you, you talked about conflict and I'm, I'm very much branded as a conflict expert. And, and it's funny because at times I've wanted to get away from that a little bit because people really don't, most people really want to avoid conflict. But um, in my new book, I actually talk about the fact that, you know, this is about mastering conflict and, and mastering conflict is not that you always get it right, but that you understand that it's natural and that it exists and it's, it, it's essential for innovation. 
And so really understanding the dynamics of conflict is, is really a very liberating and freedom producing thing. And, you know, most people, you know, I think of, of, of five different ways people relate to the idea of conflict, which is, and, and this might sound counterintuitive to you, but some people want to manage it or resolve it. And that's, if you, if you search on what Google searches are around conflict, it's conflict management or conflict resolution. And in, in some ways, I think about this, is when you want to manage it, it's kind of like you want to get rid of it. And same thing with resolving it. Um, those are terms that make conflict as bad, and we want to get rid of it. Um, and, and I really think about, instead of getting rid of it, mastering it. But then there's also people who just love creating conflict. That's, and, and you know, I think there's a, you know, a, a lot of organizations have those people that'll just throw these bombs out there to create conflict. And it's not really, the intent is really to create drama, which is not very positive. And then you have people that just absolutely hate conflict and they will avoid it at all costs. And that seems to be like a lot of people. And I think that's what our comedy and our humor is based upon is people avoiding conflict. And, and, and then of course, then there's also people that believe they have no conflict. And, and I've seen some leaders that, that they're like, well, we don't have any conflict here. And, and again, conflict Conflict change and innovation are all, they're all close cousins. And you cannot have one of those things without the other two. And so if you want to be innovative, you've got to have conflict and change. If you want to change things, you're going to have to have conflict and innovation. So all those things are intricately interwoven. And being the master of those, and I think conflict is the one that is the hardest. Uh, for for people, but I I like to have people understand what is conflict and having conflict that's not destructive, but that it's innovative. And there's a very fine line um, between the two of those. And I guess I just nerded out, didn't I? <laughs> for the listeners, like they know what they're getting into when they sign up into a podcast called the Improvement Nerds. So like they're if. if- expecting you and I to get up on soapboxes and start to nerd out about the things we love like uh, they obviously didn't listen to any other episodes before this and didn't read the uh, summary of what this this whole thing was all about like this is meant to create a forum where people can come and just be themselves and say like here's some of the things I've observed and these things have allowed me to help others be them best selves and I you know that I've studied process improvement for about nine years now, and mm-hmm. conflict is one of those things that is underrepresented in the body of knowledge. Like they talk about the stages of team formation and you know some of those parts, but they don't really get down and dirty the way that you just did to say here's the reality about conflict, and here's why you need to understand it and embrace it. And, you know, these are red flags in some ways. If your organization pretends it doesn't exist and completely ignores it, you should be concerned. If your organization tries to manage it and resolve it, you should be too, you should be concerned. If you have people in the organization who all they do is go out and create it and they're doing it for ill intent um, instead of positive intent, you've got a problem. You know, you can't. You can't achieve or create 
without conflict because that's the tension that occurs within an organization and within individuals to say the way that we're doing this right now, the status quo, how we do it today needs to change. Mm-hmm. And man, that is so true right now where, where we are as a nation, as we face a crisis due to the coronavirus, so many individuals are facing change right now. And some people are ignoring it and avoiding it. And others are, you know, looking to when is all this going to end and how is this going to be resolved? And there are select people who are choosing to create during it to say this is a pivotal point to uh, create things and innovate and inspire. And the way that you just laid this out, you know, is I think beautifully articulated. I've never really heard conflict explained in that way. Yeah, well, that's that's my deal. It's I mean, that's actually I guess the thing that I nerd out the most. And if, and if you can really understand conflict, you you are there's a freedom that comes with that. And getting back to the whole the change that we're going through right now, um, you know, I see this as a, and I and I've been watching myself with this change, and and um, I think there's part of my spiral impact model in which, you know, when you think of a spiral, there's a lot of, that's the most powerful geometry in nature. And a spiral often comes with this really calm center. And if you look to hurricanes and tornadoes, there's that calm eye of the storm. And that's where we want to be is we want to be in that calm eye of the storm. And I think the gift if people choose to take it at this point in time is to really develop that calm eye and what I call in my practice, I call it centering. And if people, and I think that when you can get really centered, which isn't static, centering is not static because great athletes are very centered and certainly a tornado and a hurricane are not static. They're, they're very dynamic. But if you can find that, that quiet place, that place of balance within yourself, so much clarity comes from that. And, we're, you know, of course, we're all, probably almost everybody is thinking, well, we're, what's the next step? And I think until you can get into that place of calm, it's really hard to see that next step. We might want to get back into... Um, trying to force things to happen that just aren't that time. So, um, yeah, so I, I think about that as being a gift in terms of, of course, when there's this conflict, I'm thrilled to see how much innovation is already coming out of this. And how do we continue that in terms of our own work and our own way we engage with people? Because this is a time of, of innovation and and it's exciting, and it's also very scary. And I don't mean to to, um, to I don't mean to downplay the scariness of it. Um, and I know for myself, I tend to be a person that tends to always look okay. So here's a problem. So let's find solutions. Let's start asking questions. Let's let's figure this out. But I also think that there's times where you just need to stop. You just need to stop and regroup, and maybe even cry. And that's good. Um, and that's a, a good thing. Um, and I find that's, 
that's something that I need to honor with myself too, because I want, I'm a helper as well. And I want to make sure that I'm providing people with what helps them at this point of massive change. Yeah. I think that is such an important message. Even when your nation is not trying to overcome a crisis, but in any change, it is easy to feel overwhelmed and confused by the chaos that occurs during change and the whirlwind of it can eat you up. And it often does. It causes uncertainty and uh, anxiety and fear. And in, in those states, you are not positioned well to think and act. You're simply acting. And a lot of people, when they're in uh, a moment of change, and we're in an extreme moment of change right now, there is a lot of change occurring. Um, so they, in that, in those moments, if they're not stopping and, and thinking and taking inventory of what is going on around them, they're, my friend, he says this really well, Travis Lozier, he says they're often confusing action with progress. Oh, I'm right. doing this. I'm active. You know, we're doing this. We're, we're spending resources in this fashion. And that that's great, but be careful there because um, – that's all it's something you can't sustain if you're just going around and you're spending resources like they're endless versus being thoughtful and calculated and taking that logical next step and and then stopping and reassessing where did that step take us where do we need to go next that is you make progress yeah an image came to mind tom as you were talking that you know we've got a big hole and a tendency is we want to fill that hole with something. And, and the activity could be that something that we fill that hole with. But what about if we carefully get down in the hole and really be in the hole and check it out and again, breathe and center. And then you start seeing some texture in that hole that you might not have seen before because you've, you've, you've filled it. But I think that's kind of a cool analogy to think about is, is are we trying to fill a hole so our fear is gone, that we can, we can do all that. I think it's going to be interesting to, in, as we sit here and talk today, you know, we don't really, we're still in um, sheltering, what do we call it? Sheltering Shel- at home. Yeah, shelter in place, I think. Shelter in place. And, and it's really going to be interesting to see how we step back out into the world and, and what that looks like. And I, I think it's, it's exciting. And there's also a lot of grief that comes along with that too. And, and I think honoring that grief is an important part. Like I said a little bit ago, you know, I, I kind of hit a wall last Saturday and I just, I just wanted to cry and I did. And I think that's good. That's good. I used to volunteer in hospice a long time ago and um, studied with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And I think that, you know, while that was, she was the, um, for those of your listeners that aren't familiar with her, she is the person that the physician that wrote the book on death and dying. And she, she was the founder of the hospice movement. Um, amazing woman from Switzerland. And, um, but her change, you know, her, her stages of grief are, I think really relevant at, to any kind of a change. And, um, and, and they're not, they're not, in any specific order or anything like that, but to recognize all those feelings are, are important and part of 
of, um, of you coming out of this, you know, being able to be in the hole and see the gifts of the hole and, and move with it. So, yeah. yeah. I, I'm glad you brought that analogy up and that is very true and really hard also. So yeah. in my episode three with Rachel Pritz, uh, who is an Enneagram expert, and I got to know her when we worked together in healthcare. She's a, a nurse and she was in nurse leadership. And, you know, she saw burnout occurring within herself and within the people she was leading. So she made a decision for herself to start her own coaching practice. Mm-hmm. And she left the organization probably about two months before I did. And then I left and I wanted to create my own business. And as soon as I made that decision, and then that decision led to me going out and venturing on my own, I started to experience anxiety and it was completely new. I had never experienced it before, but I knew that I need was going to need help. And mm-hmm. um, I'm blessed to be married to a very patient woman um, who <laughs> always manages to see the best in me in any situation. So she was a great encourager to me. But outside of her, the next person I really relied on was Rachel and the tool of the Enneagram to learn more about how I reacted in moments of stress. And the Enneagram gave me that, that framework. And she said, now, now you've started your journey in the, the, the biggest risk to you being uh, developed and, and benefiting from this journey is that you try to rush through it and you try to go past it really fast, either uh, in studying the Enneagram or in dealing with any one individual episode of anxiety. She says what oftentimes we see happen is individuals feel shameful or embarrassed that they have these dark spots within their lives. These holes exist Mm -hmm. and they want to hide them and they want to cover them up and pretend that those things aren't there. And they said, what people need to do is learn to sit in that fear, to go down in that hole and to really assess what they're afraid of. And in that, in that space, if you allow yourself to be present with it, you will grow in so many ways because you just taught yourself you can be uncomfortable. And the more and more you get uncomfortable, the more and more capable you become of being comfortable while uncomfortable. So she, yeah. without guidance like that, I probably would have rushed past all of these dark holes in my life and not sat down in, in, in them. And I still want to skip past them and do the easy thing instead of the hard thing or the right thing. Mm -hmm. But I'm day in and day out growing as a person. And I I try to encourage everyone who's looking to grow also that the best way to do it is to learn what you're afraid of and to sit with that fear and to climb down Mm -hmm. in that hole and become a student. And Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, like I, I couldn't tell you that I'm doing things I never thought were possible. And I, I feel fulfilled because of it. And it's all because I, I was given the advice to not rush past the things I was afraid of, but to embrace those fears and, yeah. and know that you're probably never going to conquer them, but you're going to learn to practice bravery and role yeah. model bravery in a better way by doing this. And I think the fear, it, those, those fears don't necessarily go away, but they get smaller and smaller and smaller. And, you know, Tom, something that I, I have always taught in my work and I have practiced for, gosh, most of my life um, is the whole 
is breathing and meditation, which is also a big part of that centering process. And, and that whole, you know, again, I mentioned the eye of the storm before, and sometimes people think of the eye of the storm as a place you don't want to be. And it's like, no, you want to be in that center of the storm. And I think I like to, I like to use the visual is that if I'm, if I'm centered with myself, which means I'm in a place of prior fulfillment. I feel, I can feel the possibilities. I feel balanced. Um, that to me is a very natural place to be in a place to, to actually spend time cultivating within myself. And when I, when I get into those moments where I, I step out of that into those bands of the storm is when I feel really fearful. I feel anxiety, I might feel anger, all those things. And, and it's about how to, you know, it's about learning, learning enough about myself to be able to bring myself back into the center where things are calm and balanced and I have perspective. And, and, I, and that has been a, a helpful analogy to me when I get into that fear is just recognizing I, 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 um, it's good. It's it's good. It's good to be in the bands because it makes you realize where you want to be. So there's that contrast, and we don't ever know. If we don't know fear, we don't know security. Um, so I think you have to you have to play with all those different things. And you know something that I in my in my new edition of my book I have stressed more, and I stress more with with most of my clients is is that whole thing of centering breathing as a path toward meditation. And I think those are, those are going to be more essential skills as, um, for anyone that wants to have peace of mind and be creative and feel like they have some, um, I don't like to use the word control, but I can't think of another word, but it is some, some choices, I guess, in their lives. And mm-hmm. you know, it's interesting because I've always said, and I'm actually writing a blog right now, that I've, I've often said that our lungs are our wings. And frequently when I'm speaking, I'll draw a picture of lungs and you step back from it and they look like wings. And, and um, so I've always taught breathing and centering processes, but I've partnered recently with a physical therapist uh, colleague and friend of mine, and I'm helping her put together a whole series on lung health that is, that is a, a, a different way is where I teach breathing as a way of emotionally releasing and, and calming and, and really getting into your true power. Hers is really how do you, you know, is it creating the structure and the strength in your diaphragm and in your skeletal system uh, to support and heal the inside of your lungs? And, and so I'm feeling like that's a place where I can serve my clients or anybody at this point is to help her um, be able to create a series that helps people with that. So again, I'm nerding out a little bit. I think breathing is uh, uh, one of the most powerful, <laughs> it's the most powerful medicine, breathing is, and it's free. All it requires is our attention. I, lo- I love where my episodes go. <laughs> Every episode, I'm starting to see a reoccurring theme 
is that change is an individual's choice to show up in a different way and to do something different than they had ever done before. Mm-hmm. So all change, I, organizational transformations um, where these groups of people not just meet their customers' expectations, but they exceed them and they do amazing things by giving back and fulfilling their corporate social responsibility and give people purposeful work. Like every organization, I think, strives to do that, but they oftentimes realize that the only way to get there is through the people that they have employed and entrust to embark on that journey. And if they aren't breathing life into those people and giving those individuals the skills that they actually need to experience and to be present and to take that next step, organizations will never truly transform because the movement has to occur in the people first. And then those people have to connect and collaborate and do more together than they could have done individually. And this thing then starts to gain a lot of momentum, almost like a flywheel. Yet another virtuous cycle looks just like your spiral. So, you know, I think I think people come to this and they're like, this is going to be about the improvement sciences and how to lead organizational transformations. And yeah, we we nerd out about those things, like what you talked about, co- about conflict. Yeah, mm-hmm. people need to understand that if they want to achieve transformation. But they also need to understand that no transformation is ever going to occur without communication and without empowerment. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Yep. And it's, and you can't do it by yourself. So you got to figure out how do you bring out the best in all those people around you that everybody's contributing to their fullest. It's artistry. It's very, it's, it's definitely artistry. I love it. I use the, the, the term improvement as a team sport. Yeah. I like that. I like that. I, I, I am in every episode I record, I say this, that I'm in love with this episode. Um, So I do, though, I I want to just kind of explore a little bit of how you got here. And I've talked to a lot of other guests and I've talked to them enough to realize that some of the outcomes of the journey that they'd embarked on, like one, they um, didn't didn't know um, that this was really where they wanted to be, but they more got there through exploration and wandering. I think a lot of people think success is a straight line and mm-hmm. oftentimes it, it is a wandering journey with twists and turns and failing and getting back up and failing again and getting back up. So I'm curious, what has your journey been like to get to where you are now to be the servant that you are in the way that you are serving now and and maybe how you got here, but where you want to go next? Okay. You know, I I, to start this out, I I re-listened to Steve Jobs' um, Stanford speech, graduation speech over the weekend. And that was so such a fabulous speech. And one of the things he said in there is, you know, it's hard to connect the dots looking forward, but when you look backward, they always make sense. And, and I think that's certainly been true in my life. Um, you know, I was a, so I was an engineer and I, at the time, many years ago, my husband was in dentistry and we used to go to a, um, we used to go to a dental conference that wasn't really about dentistry, but it was more around personal growth and practice management type stuff. And 
I attended a session that was facilitated by Tom Crum. And Tom is the author of The Magic of Conflict, and he's an Aikidoist. And I attended that session, and it, you know, it was interesting because I had done a lot of therapy. I'd done a lot of, a lot of different things of self-awareness. But his presentation had a profound impact on me in a way nothing else had. And I was sitting there, and it was kind of a unique experience in the fact that it was like crystal clear to me. It was kind of like a lightning bolt came out of the sky and said, this is the next, this is the next part of your career. And, and so I just had, I, I thought, you know, I'm a good engineer, but I just saw such value in people really understanding conflict in a different, in a, in a, in a way that they could work with it. And this felt very tangible to me because you know, my work is steeped in physics and martial arts. So it's not airy-fairy. It's not psychological. Well, there is some psychological aspects to it, but the way I present it is very much very grounded in physics and martial arts. And so I, um, I just got really very, very clear. And to be honest with you, nobody close to me in my personal life was very supportive of my decision to do this. And so... Um, but I just, I just had such clarity. And so I started studying with Tom and he didn't have a specific certification, um, course, but I, you know, I, I studied with him deeply and I was doing his work for a while and then it morphed into my work. And then actually, gosh, it was probably about 2005 where Spiral Impact actually became a larger, a larger vision for myself. and actually. Spiral impact. That image came to me when I was practicing Aikido. I was on the mat, and I just I find when I'm when I'm doing something physical, it makes it really is where my creativity really comes from. And as I was practicing, I was just thinking about my work and what what do people want? And I know what people want. Most people want they want to do something that they love and do it with some form of ease and grace. And I got thinking about spirals, how powerful spirals are. And really the, the model of spiral impact really just kind of fell out. It just felt, it just kind of just all came together for me. And, and, and so that was, in t- you know, I published my first book in 2007, the same year the iPhone came out, the same year the Kindle came out. I mean, technology just really came into focus. And, and that was the year I first published. But um, so, so that's just been incredibly, um, exciting for me. And I find that the model, it just, it's really solid and it works. And, um, and just for your, um, your listeners, you know, the model really at a 30,000 foot viewpoint, the model is, is to recognize when you have conflict, which is really that's tension that you have. And then at some point deciding I want this to be creative rather than destructive. And so you spiral and, and to do that, you turn your statements into questions, acknowledgements or both. You, you work with your focused energy, which is centering, which is raw physical energy to show up. You get really clear on, on all the levels of intention involved and you also seek out support. And so the, so so those are the five elements of it. And so, and what I found is it just works. It's a model that works and you can apply to anything. And so 
as we sit here in our our um, our our um, social distancing, you know, it's it's applying that model to that. It's, it's I can push this too hard and make it destructive, or I can spiral impact it, which is going to be about staying centered. It's going to be about asking questions and acknowledging where I am. It's going to be exploring intention on a whole other level. And it's really about seeking support from people, from all kinds of people. So it's, and, and what comes out of that is going to be another beautiful version of this, I think. So, yeah. So, and so, that, so I, you know, I just plan on, um, I, as, as we talked about, I've just published the second edition. I call it my black belt edition. And I'm, I'm getting ready to take my third degree black belt test in Aikido. And so it felt appropriate to call this the black belt edition. And, you know, to get a black belt in, in a martial art requires a lot of time, a lot of practice. Um, and, and, but when you get those belts, it means you're just at a beginning point. And so I feel like I'm constantly beginning in this work and, and, and being consistent with it and continuing to let it evolve because there's layers and layers and layers and layers. So um, did I answer your question? (laughs) On a journey and lack to everything you were saying and um for me as i was listened to that like studying lean and six sigma so one we want to make sure that the people the nerds that are listening in on this we want to clarify that the black belt practice you perform is martial arts aikido and everything you're saying people who've studied lean six sigma and are a black belt there like they're probably confusing you as that type of black belt too because this spiral impact model um is summarized by the word flow out of the lean methodology so in a lean methodology there is a, a handful of steps five steps just like spiral impact is mm-hmm. so step one is to identify value through the eyes of the customer Mm-hmm. And then two, now that you know what value is, you have the ability to assess waste. So what in your routines and your processes, whatever, whatever your activities are, what within that is something that the customer, if they knew it exists, probably wouldn't be willing to pay for it. So it's waste is anything the customer's not willing to pay for. The third and probably the... um you know, the, the, where a lot of people focus is on identifying and barriers and, you know, starting to study where the issues might be. So they're, they're trying to look at where's this process bottlenecked in order to create flow. And mm-hmm. so once people get into that part of the, of the improvement methodology, they have a really hard time pinpointing what flow is because they want to, they want to think about flow has how the process moves, but so many things flow in life and in organizations and within people. Flow is the movement of everything. It is flow of information. It's the flow of people. It's the flow of product. It's the flow of process. Mm-hmm. And what you're saying is if 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 we don't try to coordinate those things and create create flow that is graceful and seamless and effortless, you know we're just um 
forcing things instead mm-hmm. of allowing them to actually occur. So what, everything you were saying to me, I see it. Another word to use is flow. You, you help to create flow beyond just what organizations do, but flow within a person's everyday life. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And as you say that, I, I think of water and I I actually have a slide presentation on my website that I created a few years ago because, you know, when you talk about waste and of course, clients always want to know what, you know, if they can have a return on investment, it it sometimes gets hard when you think about mastering conflict. And I, I created, I, I started thinking about how conflict using water, which flows in its natural form, typically, is really relates to um, conflict. And so when you can measure water that's, you know, that's spilled out or that's been dripping that, and, and anyway, I use that whole analogy of, of water and conflict, but, but you're right, it's all, it is all about flow and, and physics. And it's interesting in my practice of Aikido, um, the minute you try to grab somebody, you create resistance that stops flow. And, and it's interesting because I think here in North America, we're always grasping at things. And when you grasp at it, even grasping at this is the solution, you stop flow. Yes. And, you know? and I, um, in, in the lean method, then in creating flow, the way that that's achieved is in step four is to establish a, a pull versus a push. So pushing is force. It kind uh-huh. of return where you and I started all this is, uh-huh. is that step four within the lean methodology is to establish pull, which is the opposite of creating push. Uh-huh. Step five of the lean methodology is to continually seek perfection. And that is where this thing becomes continuous and it's actually closed loop where as you achieve in one area, it allows you to create value for your customers and heighten the value that you so desire to create for them. So then the cycle continues again and again and again, and it's constantly heightening the organization's ability to create value, not just for their customers, but for their operators, the communities they serve. So it becomes very big picture. So, you know, for, for Lean Six Sigma black belts, as they hear your model and they hear your story, I know I made this mistake. I thought you were a Lean Six Sigma black belt because the the way you talked about problem solving, <laughs> the way that I wish black belts would actually go about solving problems. And instead, oftentimes they try to go around and they tell people, here's what I want you to do, how I want you to do it, and why I want you to do it. And your approach is more, let's ask questions and let's have a curiosity and let's mm-hmm. understand why first. Yeah. Create that space where people can have a conversation about the ideas they have and the reality they want to see occur so that we can go there together. And that's what I think uh, has made me like totally nerd out about this episode is you, you are saying all these things and um, you haven't had the formal training, but I guess people don't really need it. They just need to accept that there's a way to help institute change and there's a way to, um, you know, not in basically what they've said is that change happens by the people, not to the people. And I think that's 
accurate for how you help organizations and individuals transform. Yeah. And, you know, Tom, and it's interesting because I remember hearing, I, I remember years ago, I had a friend that was becoming a black belt in Six Sigma. And, and it was interesting because I do, I am an engineer and I, and I asked him, I said, I said, what is a black belt in Six What are you taught? What is that? And he was telling me, and I said, oh, you mean statistical process control? And he said, yeah. And I said, you get a black belt in that? <laughs> but, but when I was an engineer, that was stuff I did all the time. And I'll tell you, because I, I did, I mean, I spent 10 years working with products and in the manufacturing plant with improvement, on, as what you're talking about. And I did find one of the most useful things was always going and sitting with the people that worked with the product the most. And that could be the person that's assembling it on the assembly line. Back then, we were just getting into robotics more, but, but it's, it's, it's really not going and telling people, but really asking them, what, where, where, do, you, where do you think this would be better? What, what could we change to this, make this better from your perspective? Because unless you're working with something all the time, you can't possibly know by going in and observing for a few hours. I mean, you can see some things, but, but really talking to and having that flow with the people that are there is such an important thing. I had a hospital group I was working with a few years ago. Actually, not that long ago, really. Um, and they were going through major renovation of their financial processes. And, and they were also going through huge um, culture change from going from a command and control to more of a individual contributor type thing. And one of the things I was working with a group and I asked them, I said, What's, what dumb things do you do that you don't understand? And you know, it was interesting because these were all frontline people doing the work and they had a very long list of the dumb things that they were doing. And now, you know, I could have spent hours trying to track all that stuff from a process standpoint, but asking, asking the right people the right question is really powerful. And, and it, wasn't, it was fascinating to see what, what came forth from that. And, and it, you know, when they said that it was dumb and we looked into it, it was. It was antiquated. And that, that question, what dumb things do we do, I give, I give reverence and thanks to Mary Barra, the CEO of General Motors. She, um, she was, share, I saw her speak a few years ago here in Indianapolis, and somebody asked her a question about how they, how they deal with millennials. And she said, you know, millennials are really great at asking the question, <laughs> why, this is dumb, why are we doing it? And she said, so we brought that into our culture and I have found it to be a great question. What dumb things are we doing? So, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of similarity in what you're doing. And again, I, I, um, my stuff is, is, you know, when you're, when you're steeped in physics, physics is, you know, physics is physics. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So yet again, we got really nerdy. We did. We got really nerdy, didn't we? <laughs> Gosh, I, I love, though, um, that you could talk about the improvement methods and um, in a way in which you don't have to hit people over the head with the tools or the terms, like going out and just asking people, 
the question about what do you do every day that you think is dumb, like, and to listen to them and to do the follow-up question of, well, then how would you do it differently? That, That is really important in transformation too, because they're in the operator capacity, the individual contributors outnumber the executive decision makers in almost every organization. And those individuals, when when they are empowered and they are excited and they are working together, they become a, a community, a tribe of people that have a shared purpose. And I think it was Margaret Mead who had the quote that, you know, never doubt that those type of individuals can truly change the world because that is all that ever has. Now I'm not saying it right, but that was the gist of what she was saying is change has always occurred when individuals have made the decision that change is necessary and inspired to actually realize it and worked together to get there. And Mm -hmm. that is really important in, in the time we've found ourselves right now because change is, is everywhere. And if we don't allow people to uh, um, grieve a little bit and, and accept that loss has occurred in, in, um, in your work and in your structures and your routines, there's loss in that capacity. But the other reality is that this has a high mortality rate and people are losing loved ones and that they, they're going to need to grieve that as well. And we got to give people without judgment, the space they need to grieve effectively. And then beyond that, then we need to work collectively to realize a better and brighter future has a result in order to honor the, I think, the suffering that has occurred. Because if if you move past it like it had never happened, one, those those who did suffer during it are left behind and they're not lifted up. So I think if we can do it in a way that's respectful, the next step then is to honor all the loss in a way that it has been a foundation for creation. And mm-hmm. so that things like this aren't as likely to happen again in the future. And it's a pay it forward type model or what Simon Sinek says, it's an infinite game versus finite versus finite is we're going to go from here to here and this is going to end. And this is all the stuff we've planned to achieve by that point versus the infinite game is this is going to go on indefinitely. And the best thing we can do right now is to create thinking and hope so that beyond this, it has served as a catalytic event that has allowed us to create things we never thought were possible, not just at the end of this, but in an ongoing way every day thereafter. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, a couple of things came to mind. Um, Tom, you and I both have spent a lot of time in hospitals. Yeah. And, and the gift in that for me is that I recognize most people are not in a hospital because they're, they're not usually happy to be there unless perhaps they're having a baby. Um, but, it's, but it's made me realize that as I walk in the door and everybody that I pass or see or have any kind of encounter, they've all got something going on. And, and I think it's, it's taught me to be sensitive to what they've got going on. Not to say that I'm always perfect with that. I'm not, but um, that's been a real gift. 
The other thing that, as you were talking, made me think of something I saw recently, and I, um, it was about Darwin's law. And I think, you know, I always think of Darwin's law as, as the survival of the fittest, but that wasn't, I don't think, what he said. It's Darwin's law is actually um, those who will survive are those that are willing to adapt. And I think that's really an important piece of, um, of, of how do we, you know, in what ways do we adapt to the new normal and what even is that new normal? And, and I think that goes back to flow. If you've got some specific way that this has got to be, you're probably going to not be very happy. But if you can be open to those possibilities of, of what is this going to create for us? Um, what are what is the what are the good things that are going to come out of it? Um, I think that it will it, it'll be the possibilities are endless. So. I couldn't I couldn't agree more. I think that is such a uh, a great summary of everything you've and I have talked about on this episode. And I hope as our listeners listen to this that they start to feel confident in their abilities to uh, change and to make change and to do it in a way where it is graceful and it's in the service of others. So individuals who are listening to this and like, oh my gosh, I I love Karen. Like I I need to know more about her and I want to connect with her. So for those people who want to do that, how do they get connected with you? Well, a really great idea is to go to my website, which is um, which is spiralimpact.com or karenbalensic.com. You can get there either way. And I have a resource page there. And on that resource page, for one, I you know I'm very proud of this new book that I just released. And actually, I released it on the day that everything shut down here in Indiana. But I but I. I, over those first two weeks, I got bestseller in nine different categories, and I felt really good about that. So, so my book is is a fabulous resource. But on that page, there's also some free resources and some videos of of what I think is beautiful Aikido, and and I also have twice a week I send out what I call as a spiral question. So rather than sending out a directive or a quote that's a statement, I send out a question, which in the true meaning of spiral impact is about asking a question to get people's minds engaged. And so I send those out on Mondays and Wednesdays. I also do what I call an ah yes once a, once a month. And I'm always up for, a, a, for a, a chat, a talk. If you think you might want to study with me right now, I've got a lot of options for virtual learning, which, which has gone quite well actually so far. And, um, and, and always interested in connecting and, and growing the network in terms of um, each client I have is actually a gift to me. And I, I think there's always a, a, a lovely exchange with that. So, but Spiral Impact is probably the, going to my website is probably the best way to get a hold of me. Thank okay. you for creating so many different ways people can engage with you and to say something that you had just said that that every client you work with every individual you meet that you see that as a gift and that you honor the gift so i hope individuals in listening to this know that that is authentically true i know it is because every time i've interacted with you that comes out and i hope that individuals 
do follow up on this and do connect with you because I think through you, they're going to be able to achieve uh, joy and, and create and uh, learn how to master conflict. There's so many things that I think you can help people do. And I can't thank you enough for all the work you've done and all the people you've served and all the people you're going to serve going forward. And I can't thank you enough for coming on to the episode and sharing your story. Thank you so much. Oh, you're so very welcome. And Tom, I just, I know you're fairly new in, a, in the consulting world. And I want to say to you, I'm excited because I know what you offer. And if, however, I can be supportive of you, I hope that you won't hesitate to reach out to me and, and, and we, can, we can nerd out some more on ideas and creativity and stuff. I would love that. Yeah, so this is, I guess, a fair warning for <laughs> to to watch out. <laughs> okay, I'm I'm always up for it. I'm always up for it. Awesome. Yeah. All righty. Thank you. Thank you.